0: But I don't. I really don't have any regrets. I really don't. I've I've lived exactly how I wanted to. I've tried my hardest every single time. I didn't win the matches that maybe I should, should have always won, or. But I really gave it my all. So that for me is enough.
1: Hello everybody, welcome back to The Body Serve. I'm Jonathan. And I'm James. We are finally back from the Wimbledon hangover. There have been about 35 tournaments in the past three weeks. We're barely back. We
0: hemmed and we hawed about recording this episode, and it was touch and go there for a bit.
1: It's. I feel like it's been a long time, but it still did take a little bit of a push. Mm.
0: The next few weeks are going to be a little bit haphazard, helter-skelter all over the place. It's always a tricky time for us because like the last five years we're going to Cincinnati and for the last four years we're going as press. And so we don't really get to cover much of the Toronto event because we're working the week before we're off for 10 days. I remember somebody critiqued us last year, like, how are you a Canadian tennis podcast and you didn't cover the Rogers Cup? Like, well, there's a tournament like a little bit south that's better, frankly. To be quite honest. To be quite honest. And uh, the men and women are in separate places. In Cincinnati, they're both in one. So that's where we we put our limited resources toward.
1: (laughs) We are going to Toronto definitely uh, next Friday, which Mm -hmm. is quarterfinal day. Uh, We're going at night. And we may go another day during the week. And it is free on qualifying weekend. So it might drop in a few times then. Yeah, you have no excuse not to go. Serena is practicing at 9 a.m. this coming Saturday. Allegedly. Allegedly. I don't know if it's on center court or one of the practice courts. Some of them are a little bit secluded, which she typically likes. She likes to be far away from the crowds. You can't practicing. really hide on any of the practice courts at the at Oh, the that's Toronto true, by. because they actually installed that uh, that like walkway above the practice courts, which for many years they did not have. So if you were at one of the further ones, you the fans couldn't get anywhere near you. Remember that? Yes, yes, mm-hmm. that's
0: true. I mean, well, it was still a little bit more secluded, but you could still see.
1: Yeah. Uh, They're far away, but you could still but see. But there would be like many players in front of you yes. practicing. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we're going to do some Rogers Cup. We're going to Cincinnati for the full week. Man, it's been a lot these past few weeks. Love Island finished last night, so we finally have a little bit of time. You're... Going off on attention. Mm-hmm. The
0: whole point of saying that is that we don't know. We can't tell you when episodes will drop. That was the whole point of that spiel right. for the next three weeks or so. Mm-hmm. Typically, we record on a Sunday or Monday, and it comes out a few hours after that. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Keep keep yourself
1: posted. So back to what's really important. Love Island finished last night. Amber and Greg won to the delight of all. Queen Amber just captivated apparently all of the United Kingdom. Mm-hmm. I came across one tweet today that
0: was definitely in favor of Molly and Tommy. I was going to say Molly and Tommy May.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's fine, as long as you're not denigrating my girl Amber in the process, because she has been mine from day one. I know a lot of y'all did not like her right off the bat, because she's a little tough, she's a little hard to know. She came off as a little bit standoffish, but she is so genuine. I want her to be my president and if we have any listeners from Newcastle, I will pay if you can teach me the accent. You'll pay. I will not a lot. It doesn't mean that you'll be able to grasp it. No, I think I have a pretty good grasp on Mora's Irish accent, which I'm not going to do here. But I just felt slagged off, you know.
0: <laughs> that's <laughs> he, that's more Amber, isn't it?
1: It makes us laugh.
0: <laughs> I I found it incredible how everybody on that. TV show, after Greg's entrance, resisted the urge to comment on how smoking hot he is. Like, nobody, not once, mentioned how just like, stunning he is.
1: absurdly good-looking. Yeah.
0: Like, sure, yeah, he presents himself as a really nice guy and treats Ember well and is, for all uh, appearances, the perfect gentleman. Whatever mm. that means. But... He is also smoking hot.
1: <laughs> and maybe we are just that
0: shallow. Perhaps. Or maybe, you know, for Amber, who herself is smoking hot, it's just not that big of a right. deal. Like, she accepts like a... for herself that she should have somebody <laughs> on her arm who is smoking hot. <laughs> you know, that's not how we regular folk live our lives. Right.
1: Okay. This episode, I am hoping, is going to be easy breezy. A little bit casual. We, we're not very rigid today we don't have a lot of serious stuff to mm, talk about
0: what you're really getting at is that you don't want it to be too long so shut up and let's get it going
1: <laughs> that's results not so results god there is so much and i'm not going to lie to you i have watched like zero minutes of tennis since wimbledon ended so um i found out about the results but i don't have a lot of specific insights
0: mm-hmm. john isner beat Bublik in the final of newport which i believe is what the hall of fame championships mm-hmm. right yep Congrats. He won that
1: for the fourth time. Dusan Jusunlavich beat someone named Attila Balaj from Hungary, who's ranked 141. In Bastad, Nicolas Jarry beat uh, Juan Ignacio Londero for his first title. In Bucharest, Elena Rybakina defeated uh, Patricia Maria Tig,
0: who is back on tour after injury and pregnancy, I believe. She got injured and then she had a baby, and now she's back. It's been like two years. Mm. In Lausanne, Fiona Ferro beat Alizé Cornet for her first title.
1: And this just jumped out to me. Bernarda Pera is an American that has sort of been on the fringes for a little while. People have been talking about her. She's still quite young. She, over the past two weeks, had wins over Caroline Garcia in Lausanne and Yelena Ostapenko in Jurmala, uh, which is a Latvian tournament where Ostapenko, I'm sure, got a huge appearance for you to be. Pera is uh, coached by Guillermo Canas who you remember <laughs> for a few reasons, beating Roger Federer twice in Roger Federer's absolute prime and also being banned for doping. And he's also Argentinian. Mm-hmm. There's another thing you may know sure, about him. Sure, sure. I think they pronounce it Guillermo mm-hmm. in Argentina, right? In
0: Hamburg, this was this past weekend, Nikolaj Basilashvili defended his title. On his way to the final, Baselashvili beat... Alexander Zverev in the semi-final. This after in in the quarterfinals, Zverev had a bit of a a puff my chest. I I, who run the world, Sasha moment.
1: (laughs) Uh, No, I think this is my court. This is my
0: my fucking court. This is my
1: fucking house. Just you know, a point of information. One should win the tournament to sort of validate that that sense of ownership, don't you think? Didn't he win it once before? I thought that was a thing that... DC, he always plays DC. Oh, I don't know. And he has been kvetching a bit about appearance fees. Hamburg obviously ponied up to, to his fair, expectations. To be fair to him,
0: he was asked why he wasn't playing DC. He didn't sure. just roll up in press and say, yo, this is what's going well, on. Well, yeah, but there was the drama about Stuttgart earlier this year.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And there, I mean, he also has drama off the court with his management stuff. Yeah. Like he's he's trying to, to set the bar for his own worth.
1: That that's fine. Know your worth, baby. Mm-hmm. But that is not your court. <laughs> well, it belongs to Nicholas Pasalas. Not, not right now.
0: It may some. Hasn't been for the last two years. Uh, Andre think, Rublev. Well, before we go on to that, why folks, you know, had a bit of fun with that is Zverev is still only what twenty one, twenty two. How many courts could you own outside of the one that maybe your parents own or mm-hmm. the one that you grew up playing at school? Like right. Like even if you won Wimbledon, you don't own that court. If you won the Australian Open, you definitely don't own that court.
1: <laughs> I mean, like Jerry Weber,
0: Roger Federer owns that one. There maybe there's just not many open courts available. <laughs> In Atlanta, Alex Diminar, the what, the little demon beast? What did they call him? Just just Demon. Okay.
1: I, I don't know where the beast came from.
0: <laughs> he uh he uh beefed up his serve had some super-duper returns against Raleo Pelka in the semifinals, and then beating Taylor Fritz in the final. Against... We hadn't we hadn't seen Diminar
1: do much in the last few months. No, it's been a while, but seeing that, you remember why he has so much promise. He only lost two points on his first serve in the final.
0: I'm told, having not watched the match, that had a lot to do with Fritz's inability
1: as well. Uh, fair enough. You still... <laughs> Demonauer still has to win the points. (laughs) Albert Ramos Vignolas won Gastad. Um, Sevastova won Jormala in Latvia. And in Palermo, which is the clay tournament that I think Annabelle Medina Garrigues won like a million times through her career, Jill Teichman took out, surprisingly, clay queen Kiki Burtons. Well, I don't know. I think we can call her maybe clay duchess because she has not won Roland Garros. No, and she she's the reigning Cincinnati
0: Titleist. Like She's accomplished on all surfaces at this point. Yes. Maybe not so much grass, but fine. She does well on clay. This was surprising. Straight sets lost to mm-hmm. Jill Teichman. We'll talk more about her later in the show because we're going to be doing this little segment where you and I pick out one ATP player and one WTA player ranked in the top 100 that we either know nothing about or very little. Mm-hmm. And so this was a, an appropriate moment for us to, to learn a little bit about the current swiss miss of the day
1: oh she's swiss too then well it's complicated we'll see okay so kiki burton's listen to this palermo was her 17th tournament of the year so far mind you we're just in july there's a lot of tennis to be played i saw someone joke that she is the
0: wta's dominic team at the moment (sighs) yeah
1: i mean get your money but at a certain point you're not getting your points your ranking, points. Okay,
0: but this is also somebody who admitted that two years ago she was ready to walk away from the sport. So she, if she's enjoying herself, if she's winning, if she's making money, maybe she's trying to get
1: that retirement fund padded up. Well, yeah, before she maybe this up. is going in the 401k. It's none of our business. Okay, so th- this is probably the well one of the more serious things we're going to talk about. Brazilian player Beatriz Haddad Maia tested positive for a banned substance shortly before Wimbledon. This was just released by the World Anti-Doping Association that she was tested on June 4th in Bol, Croatia. The test was sent to Montreal for testing in one of the WADA labs, and as of July 22nd, she was suspended for taking a banned substance. Now, any player has the right to appeal the ban. At this moment, it's a provisional ban pending a hearing, basically a trial. She has not appealed it as of yet. She's still got time, but she hasn't offered any sort of rebuttal yet. Maybe she's getting her lawyers together, getting a case together. Um, Under the WADA Code Article 8, if you were curious, athletes are guaranteed a, quote, fair hearing within a reasonable time by a fair and impartial hearing panel.
0: All things that are incredibly subjective. (laughs) Fair. Fair. I mean, you can put in safeguards for the fairness aspect. Still subjective. Reasonable
1: time. Okay. And impartial hearing panel. Wow. that That is a tall order. So where it stands right now is that this ban is provisional. She's not playing. We don't know when the actual hearing will be. And we don't know if she's planning on appealing. Regardless, there will be a hearing. What did she test positive for? Well, so our friend Anna, who is kind of a doping... which. Connoisseur. Not an not enthusiast, but she knows a lot, <laughs> yeah. a lot about anti-doping in sport. Mm-hmm. Um, she has done the work and she has expertise. Yes. And she said, oh, so this is doping doping. <laughs> mm-hmm. So this is this is for real. This isn't, you know, oh, I took a, a vitamin with some weird thing in it or I accidentally snorted coke when I was drunk at the club. This is actual doping. She tested positive for anabolic agents, which is Category 1 of the banned list, and it's called SARM-S22 and SARM-LGD4033 metabolites. So a SARM, if you were curious, is a selective androgen receptor modulator. So let's start at the beginning. An androgen receptor—I had to look this up— an androgen receptor is a nuclear receptor in the cell that binds androgenic hormones. An androgenic hormone is something like testosterone that creates male characteristics. So the main function of the receptor itself is that once it binds with an androgen, with a hormone, it regulates gene expression. And so in this case, it regulates the expression of male characteristics, like bigger muscles, bone density, all that stuff. It can also regulate like male secondary sex characteristics and puberty. Got it so far? Okay. Okay. So what a SARM does, a selective androgen receptor modulator, is that the drug binds to the androgen receptors in the body. And so that basically helps the body express these male characteristics that you want to come out easier. And so you can see what the obvious benefit would be in sport. To beef up your game. Right. And so there are actually some possible medical reasons that someone would take these. And I think a lot of them are still sort of in the experimental phase. But, you know, men are taking SARMs to combat problems associated with aging. It may possibly help treat osteoporosis in women by, like, increasing um, skeletal muscle mass. So it's all very interesting. I, do, I know very little about science, so it took a lot of reading for me to, like, grasp what was going on here. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's some explanation. Well,
0: let's wait and hear it. Yeah, what folks I've... get really creative out in these doping streets. So, I'm I want to see what happens. Uh, we're just we're just letting you know what happened. We're not here to pass any judgment. No. I feel like you've been very judgmental.
1: I'm explaining to you what this drug does. Hmm, but you're like, this is doping, doping. <laughs> I, I didn't say. That. <laughs> I was
0: paraphrasing. You paraphrased with glee. <laughs>
1: yes. I I can't lie. I do enjoy reading these stories. I find them fascinating. In many ways, I enjoy the the scenarios that players come up with when they do test positive. And Haddad Maya has not has not come up with any story. She may, in the hearing, have an explanation, or she may just say, "Yeah, you got me." But we haven't heard like a creative ta- tall tale about why these drugs weren't her system. Now, the the thing that's jumped out for me immediately is wait a second she beat Garbini and Mugurutha in the first round of Wimbledon do you think that no, Miss Mugurutha no, is a I little bit
0: annoyed I don't need to hear any iteration of whatever question you're asking <laughs> that's a match Mugurutha should have won and no mode of doping allegedly should have caused that result still,
1: still no if I'm Mugurutha rebuke it I wanna I want maybe go over and ask her a few questions. Okay. I mean, she's
0: well within her rights to go ask for mm. second round prize money. Maybe catch these hands a few minutes. Get some second round prize money. Take her. <laughs> that that that's about the extent of it.
1: <laughs> no, it's like the the butterfly effect. You have no idea if Mover the had won that match. Who knows what would have happened?
0: Mm. She yeah. She might have beaten. She might have been
1: the one to beat Serena Williams. Yeah. And then what? Okay. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying. Uh, when when this sort of things happens, you do deny a clean player a chance at a at a fair competition. I don't want to sound moralistic here, but let's say I came in fourth place in the hundred meter, and the one, two, three have all been dinged for doping, which has happened. Okay, so right? you're you're gonna throw the two thousand <laughs> women's one hundred meter Olympic dash in my face,
0: and Merlin Otte's <laughs> subsequent bronze, maybe even silver medal after finishing fourth. Mm-hmm. Is that where you're yeah, going with I this? would,
1: I would be upset.
0: I would argue that the stakes and the situation, there are not quite the same as they're Wimbledon cer- first they're round. They're certainly
1: not. Certainly not. I'm just
0: saying. Andy Murray is back on the double circuit this time in DC this week. He's playing with his brother, Jamie Murray. And we find out this week as well that it's possible this could add a nice little wrinkle to our sensei coverage that andy murray might
1: might best case scenario play singles in cincinnati Mm. and i actually don't think that we've seen andy play singles in cincinnati before after the olympics after he won the gold medal he came to cincinnati did his uh press responsibilities but didn't play we've seen him
0: definitely in toronto Mm -hmm. uh yeah i can't recall we must have no, nope, that's not true. We did see him one year. He made the final and lost to Dimitrov.
1: Oh, I didn't right? stay was the whole... that?
0: No, it was Chilich. Yeah. And my memory is a little bit good in this instance, because in 2016, Chilich beat Andy Murray in the final. He just ran out of gas. Mm-hmm. And I believe that was the same year that Kerber ran out of gas in the final. I could be wrong as well.
1: Uh, yeah, Plishkova. Beat her in Cincinnati, and then it was the reverse result in the U.S. Open that year. That was a set. So I was right? Oh, see? Wow. Good memory.
0: Hmm. Also, this week in D.C., we have, or well, we had the doubles pairing of one Nick Kyrios and Stefanos Tsitsipas. They lost in a super tiebreak
1: in the third set, I guess, in their first round match. This is obviously a blockbuster matchup and also a fascinating character study between the two because Nick has uh, has poked some fun at Stephanos on Instagram and Twitter mm-hmm. because Stephanos is a weird dude and he's um, philosophical. and
0: Wasn't he kind of goaded into this pairing? Wasn't that one of the things that happened on the NCR
1: interview? <laughs> that did come up on the interview on NCR that Nick likes Stephanos. He respects his game and thinks that he might be a bad influence on Stephanos that they were to, to become mm-hmm. friends. But Nick did actually write this very nice Instagram post about Sitsipas after the match, which uh, I think is fairly out of character for Nick to be so sincere on social media. He said, We may go about things differently, but tonight was a special moment, and honestly, it was awesome to share the court with you. It's been cool to see you bloom into the player you are, and you are only at the beginning. You are going to be able to help and influence a lot of people. See you in Cincinnati. With a heart-eye face. And a credit to our friend Chad, who took the
0: picture. Yeah. That's pretty cool. It's, it is cool with when players are out here not only giving
1: props to each other, but crediting people for their work. <laughs> right, Because some players will snatch your photos uh, fully, without permission, and will not credit you.
0: Well, can you blame them when the tour that they play on does the same?
1: Right. But, ooh, God forbid if you do that to the tour. Mm. So that was actually pretty cool from Nick. And I would like to see more. Alexander Zverev has split with Ivan Lendl. Mm -hmm. I would say um, that the subject of that sentence is Ivan Lendl split with Alexander Zverev. Yeah, the
0: timing of this news was a little bit weird. You were right. The way I worded was a little bit awkward there in terms of representing
1: what we think happened. Well, I, I mean, I was just joking. We don't know exactly what the mm. conversations were like between them.
0: Yeah, but this came out in the middle of the tournament and apparently uh, Zverev was surprised by it.
1: Mm. Uh, Lendl does this. You know, he doesn't stay in one place too long. He ended the partnership with Andy Murray and it seemed like it was, it was mostly on his side at the time. Lendl kind of does what he wants. But he did mention that there were some off-court things with Zverev that we know about, with his management and all that, some lawsuits that were out of Lendl's control and felt that it just it wasn't working for them at the moment. It didn't jibe with Lendl's coaching philosophy.
0: Mm. What's clear is that Zverev has a lot going on, and uh, this can't help those matters, I don't think. Or, I mean, maybe it wasn't a great partnership for him. Maybe it could help. Who knows? Well, I mean, but now you have to be looking for another coach mm-hmm. at this time, like right heading into the hard court swing. Like yeah. it's, it's tough.
1: And I do wonder if I saw somebody speculate that maybe this is uh, similar to like a Wozniacki situation, that any coach who's going to come in has to absolutely has to get along with Alexander Zverev Sr., And maybe has to occasionally take like second chair to him. And you get the sense with Caroline that Peter Wozniacki is always going to be a major, major part of her team. And not every coach is okay with that.
0: Conjecture. A wild story. A wild story. (laughs) That we've been keeping our eye on. We've kind of been playing where in the world is Svetlana San Diego all year. (laughs) Right? For a long stretch, she was out to start the year and then she finally came back at some point in the clay season from injury and now she's unable to defend her points in DC because of visa issues and we got conflicting reports from many different sources and then we got a tweet from the US Embassy in Moscow mm mm-hmm. it, it was
1: bizarre which somehow is not a joke. So, Andrea Callan, who is the spokesperson for the U.S. Embassy in Moscow, tweets, We've seen press reports about tennis player Svetlana, hashtag Kuznetsova, and her hashtag, Visa, concerns. We have reached out to her directly to make sure she can travel and compete, but no answer. If you're reading this, Svetlana, give us a call. Your visa is waiting for you! Exclamation. See, this I read this and I thought, okay, this is clearly a troll job. No government official could ever Mm. write a tweet this inept. But yet it makes perfect sense, given that this is part Um. of this administration. (laughs) Right? Okay, Svetlana is on Twitter, and she has been tweeting about her visa problems, but Ms. Callan could not locate her, so instead she wrote her first name and then hashtag Kuznetsova. So I I guess she was like throwing up a bat signal, hoping it would reach Svetlana. Then she hashtag visa, which was just awkward. Stupid. The, the whole thing just came off as very... You hashtag visa, you're going to get credit card stuff.
0: Like, that makes no sense. This is clearly a person who
1: does not know how to use social media. But also, I will speak from experience. When I immigrated to Canada, they did not tweet me when my visa was ready. Mm-hmm. Uh, am I just not a VIP? That's like you... First of all, <laughs> you
0: as an American... <laughs> Moving to Canada is like the Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory of immigration processes.
1: Okay, it's, um, people died in Willy Wonka's chocolate factory. Okay, so it's even <laughs> that was <laughs> it's even easier than that. I'm not. What I'm I'm making light of the fact that immigration isn't usually handled over social media uh, in general. Correct. So the fact that they could not contact her, you know, when someone applies for a visa, they write down their home address, their phone number, possibly their email address. They... You couldn't contact her on any of those valid methods of conversation or communication. And
0: for a lot of those visa applications, you need references. You need letters of references. Other people are on
1: file who can then get in touch with like, you. Like she's famous. She's not in Antarctica.
0: I saw folks joking about, you know, you know Sveta, it could very well be that she just is a goofball and doesn't know what's going on. Apparently, some people think that that is in character for I her. I mean,
1: but she's been playing tennis for 15 years, mm. minimum. Yeah, She's never had these visa problems before.
0: She's no dummy. And then there were some folks who were saying, like, well, maybe this is a part of a larger political issue with respect to U.S.-Russian relations, which it's not... Out of the realm of possibility that it could have been something, like, it's, it's not crazy to speculate that. But what I did see that was wild to me was, uh, and it highlighted just how ignorant a lot of folks are about visas in general. It's mm-hmm. one of the great privileges that one can have in this world to be born in a country where you can move across borders without having a visa. Mm-hmm. And I know that firsthand. <laughs> right. It wasn't from, from not having that privilege. Correct. It it uh, it wasn't until six years ago that I was able to not need a visa.
1: Mm-hmm. And that's just a visit. What Svetlana needs is a work visa.
0: Well, no, her visa. If you look at it, it's a B one B two. That's what I had. It's oh, a, really? It's a visitor's visa, oh. which is what uh, that stuck out to me as well. Because I assumed, and this is a topic of conversation I'd like to look into more, the whole visa acquisition process for players and what is it that they're actually Mm -hmm. uh playing under because you'd assume that they're working in the states but a b1 b2 visa is not a work visa it's a it's a it's a leisure Mm. classification and also the visa is good for three years that is new to me as far as i know the the last time i got well, when I first started getting B-1, B-2 visitors visas to go to the States was from when I was living in Jamaica. And the first one I got was a 10-year visa. Hmm. And then when I renewed it, they only started giving five. So for the last two B-1, B-2 visas I had were five-year visas. And now it's three. So maybe that's a change hmm. in general that the U.S. is only issuing three-year visas now. Or maybe that that's because she's a,
1: a tennis professional. I don't know. What I thought was interesting is people are like, well, can she's won the U.S. Open. Why can't she get a visa? What, what does that have to do with anything? Yeah. And what Do is you the, think that the U.S. government gives a fuck who won the U.S. Open? And what
0: is the WTA supposed to do outside yeah. of getting lawyers to like maybe talk to somebody at an immigration department? Like, okay. I, I don't understand. Like.
1: The whole thing was very weird because she said, if you're reading this Svetlana, give us a call. So what is she, she? What is she supposed to do? She's supposed to call like the one eight hundred number and say, "Hey, this gal tweeted me. I'm here for my visa." Is Andrea Kalen there? <laughs> Kalen? Yeah. Andrea Kalen? Yeah, because she had tweeted me and at
0: USM Rule Press. <laughs> I got a tweet on July twenty sixth at nine forty one a.m. I'm returning the
1: call. <laughs> uh Svetlana did respond. And she said, well, Andrea, this is a paraphrase. I didn't get any calls, but I did get word that my visa was ready, so I will go pick it up. Just so weird.
0: Mm. I want to know who's going to reimburse her, her WTA
1: points. Yeah. Wasn't she defending in DC? Like she's
0: already ranked like in Timbuktu, and then she's going to lose these points. That's not good uh-huh. for somebody of her
1: age and ranking. Right. Reportedly, she had... Uh, applied back in February and it's possible there was a backlog because of the earlier government shutdown but this long and I I do actually wonder if other players have been affected by this because we haven't heard anything but I'm really curious.
0: One of the best things that's happened to tennis in the last month or so has been Venus Williams's YouTube channel. Mm -hmm. Like this is a player who in her 40th year now has been a bit of a recluse to the tennis press establishment. And we are getting insights into what it's like to be Venus Williams currently
1: that we haven't gotten in years. Right. It's since, uh, well, they did the documentary, but way back in the day they did that MTV diary. Well, Serena did it, and mm-hmm. Venus was like reluctantly in it as well. And they also had like a brief reality series, right? I, I'm told. Mm-hmm. I don't remember that. <laughs> But these videos are so, the production value is so good. Venus is giving you inspirational quote after quote, which is her thing now. She's talking a little bit about her diet. She's out here quoting Pierre de Coubertin, who (laughs) is
0: like lauded as the father of the modern day Olympics. Also an asshole. Mm -hmm. So like, a little bit of a side eye there. Would you like to have a a dialogue about Pierre de Coubertin? Not at the moment. Venus? No, 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 no. Okay. She can do what she wants. She is Venus Williams. (laughs) I'm just saying that was a little bit jarring Mm -hmm, for me. mm -hmm.
1: Serena was, again, exposing Venus on her Instagram stories, breaking into her house, allegedly, according to Venus, and judging her food choices.
0: By food choices, you mean the fact that there was nothing in her fridge. (laughs) Yes. And Serena then goes on to steal her products. (laughs) And Venus claps back by saying, well, you know, if you had opened my freezer, you'd have seen that I had some waffles in there. (laughs)
1: Waffles. (laughs) Uh, Francoise Zabanda, who at one point last year was the Canadian number one. She's been away from the game for quite a while with shoulder injuries. She's back. She's made two consecutive semifinals at ITF events. Most recently in the Granby as a challenger, challenger right? yeah.
0: She is somebody who's been on the show. We interviewed her in, in Cincinnati a couple mm-hmm. of years ago. I had a wonderful time chatting with her. Uh, yeah.
1: She is a Montrealer. Uh, she lost in both of these tournaments to Layla Annie Fernandez, who is a 16-year-old Canadian. She won the Roland Garros girls title. She's obviously a huge prospect coming up. Mm-hmm.
0: In the first semifinal the previous week... Francoise had to retire, and then this past week, they had a three-set marathon Uh, Yeah, where Francoise was up in the third set tiebreak, had match point, and ended up losing. Now, what had
1: happened was... (laughs) Well, this video came out of Francoise going to her chair, putting away her stuff, while Layla came over asking for a handshake, which she was never going to get. And Francoise just walked off the court and that was that. Now she responded and was like, listen, this is not the whole story. What you didn't see was Layla celebrating with her team before she came over and shook my hand at the net. So she was sore about that. Well,
0: let me tell you exactly what she said. She quote tweeted the video with Layla walking past Francoise and her back turned to her and Layla standing up waiting for to shake her hand it seemed for a good few seconds and uh, Francoise was not having it and she says I waited at the net but Leila was busy celebrating with her team you're supposed to shake your opponent's hand before your coach well there are technically no lies
1: there no lies were spoken Frankie has always been very frank for lack of a better word Mm -hmm. she has always been comfortable saying what she feels she and I let respect us, that.
0: She let us know that she did not like the fact that the Canadian Federation did not treat her the way that they treated Jeannie Bouchard and others when she was coming mm-hmm. up. Yes. And she probably sees a lot of that in Leila Fernandez now that she didn't receive, to be frank. Perhaps. And uh, I'm, I'm not here to tell you who was right and who was wrong. In the grand scale of tennis dramas, Like this one is pretty mild.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It's low level. Yes. And... Uh, It'll probably be a learning experience for both, perhaps, um,
1: or, or not, or neither. Who knows? Who knows? Colleen Vandway is back. She's back. She is back. Winning matches. Jack Shu is back. Losing <laughs> matches.
0: Jack, no show shoe sock. What? <laughs> no show. Mm. Oh my god, that was corny. He as He is back as well. Uh, Colleen, for her part, she won with a plum mm-hmm. in her first match. I mm-hmm. believe she beat Buskova, which is not, a,
1: not nothing to sniff at uh, Yes, in straight sets. Now, what she has come back to is a world in which there are two Cocos. Mm-hmm. But she is the only one that has two capitalized C's yeah. in her name. And we make it easy because we always refer to her as Colleen.
0: Mm-hmm. So there'll be no confusion on the show.
1: There's Colleen, and then there's, mm-hmm. and then there's Coco. Coco Goff, for her part, qualified, won her fir- her two matches in qualifying, and is now in the main draw in DC. She lost today to oh, Zarina Diaz. this is the problem when I sets. don't pay attention.
0: You do not pay attention. You paid partial attention. <laughs> so, Vanderway is back. Jack Sock is back. He has lost two weeks in a row. Uh, he was spouting off, got a point penalty today for going off. Mm. And also Old Hyun Habits. Chung, Hyun Chung is back as well. He's somebody who has been out for a long time, yeah, with injury. And potentially Andy Murray coming back. Like the, we're getting a a lot of returns to tour, from big high-profile names. Mm-hmm.
1: In sad news, Australian tennis player and coach Peter McNamara died at age sixty-four of prostate cancer. This gave us a chance to, to read a little about his life, and you know, he, he's he been a, a big figure in tennis for a long time, but uh, embarrassingly, I didn't know a whole lot about him. He was a five-time titleist in singles, he reached a high of number seven, he reached the second week of slams three times in the early 80s, he won three slam doubles titles with Paul McNamee, and actually, near the height of his singles career, he suffered this terrible injury on this acrylic hardcourt in Rotterdam that apparently was laid unevenly. He twisted his knee, tore his ACL, messed up his meniscus, and it was a very long recovery, as you can imagine, and really never regained the, the kind of mobility he needed to compete at that level. And so between, like, 83 and 87, he got injured, came back, and just never reached those heights again, unfortunately. Eventually
0: retiring in 1987... After his career as a, a, an active tennis professional, he went on to coach Mark Filipousis, Grigor Dimitrov, Matt Ebden, and then most recently, Wang Chung.
1: And clearly a very respected figure. There have been a lot of outpouring. We saw it from Grigor Dimitrov this week. In more light-hearted news, WTA girlfriends, Alison
0: van Uytvank and uh, Gret Minnen, uh, they're a couple in real life, and they played each other, in singles this past week, with Van Eyckwank winning in three sets. And then they had a, a hug and a kiss at the net. It was cute. All right. Come through. While we're away, we also missed the Hall of Fame induction that happened in Newport. Every year that tournament goes on, where is it, Rhode Island? Yep. Yeah. And they have the induction ceremony there as well. This year, inducted were Lena, Mary Pierce, and Yevgeny Kafelnikov.
1: After many years of eligibility, Kafelnikov yes. has finally rightly joined the Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. And for years, the, the talk about that was like, oh, he's, you know, he's not a great ambassador of the game or the powers that be don't really like him that much. That and he that's was an what, asshole. Well, that's yeah, what it, that's and that's what, what prevented his induction. But if we're looking at stats alone, he's an obvious inductee because people have made it with far fewer, uh, a, a far lesser resume. Lena, obviously, I mean, Lena changed the game in profound ways that I think we haven't fully understood yet. This, I think, was her first eligibility year, and she was nominated and got in.
0: 2014 was when she retired. It's five years after Mm -hmm. you retire. Mary Pierce, she's been retired for a while. Yeah. Um, Actually, somebody can correct me on this, but it's possible that the reason why she's been inducted now is because she actually didn't actually retire for a long time. Oh. I think there was a a lot of speculation as to, well, what's going on? Like, she kind of disappeared from the tour after 2007 for a few years mm-hmm. uh, because of terrible injuries. She had that big, big year in 2005. Yes. And uh, started out 2006 and then had a few injuries, played again at the end of that year, I believe, and then just kind of went away. And so it was kind of like Monica Seles at the end of her career where she didn't mm. really... Call it quits until years after the fact, officially. Right. Um, so I can't say for sure if this was her first year of eligibility. I could be wrong, uh, but uh, for me personally, Mary Pierce was somebody that I I loved watching growing up. I didn't enjoy when she beat some of my faves, like mm-hmm. when she beat Conchita Martinez in the two thousand French Open final, I believe. That was that was a uh, it was a it was a heartbreaking slam for me to watch because I was an Arantxa fan first and foremost. I was Arantxa, Yana Novotna, and I liked Conchita Martinez because she was one half of the first tennis match I ever watched, Mm -hmm. which was a 94 Wimbledon final with Martina Navratilova. And in that 2000 final, at that point in their career, Conchita playing Arantxa in the semifinals of the French Open was a huge opportunity for both. Conchita, even though she's a a Wimbledon champion in 94 was obviously very accomplished on clay had never won the French Open Arantxa had won it three times this was their chance possibly their last chance you have to remember that this was a time mm-hmm. in tennis where the the big babe tennis was taking over you, you didn't really see a path forward for them to being super relevant again and here they were presented with this opportunity and I was pulling for Arantxa in that semifinal, and she lost I believe fairly easily as well and then, so Conchita goes into this final, and she loses in straight sets to Mary Pierce. That was the one time that I was not happy with Miss Pierce.
1: <laughs> well, and talk about one of the emblems of Big Babe Tennis. She's such a mysterious figure because she seemed to have floated in and out of the game so many times. But A lot of it due to injury. Yes, but there has appeared this legend of Peak Pierce. Because Pierce, at the zenith of her powers... some people say nobody could beat her, period. Like that nobody has played like that, ever.
0: It was incredible. And what Mm. she was able to do, she was one of the first players at the age of 32, 33 to play at that level Mm -hmm. on the WTA Tour. Which is what she did in the 2005 season. I believe making two finals.
1: She made the final uh, of the US Open against Kim Clijsters, and she also made the WTA finals. She was the Mm runner-up. And I
0: believe she lost in the French Open final that year as well to... Oh, yes, to to Justine Justine. Yeah, Yeah. She lost both those finals in 05 in straight sets. And then Lina was, in a sense, followed in her footsteps in terms of being able to play at that level in her latter years Mm -hmm. on tour. She was somebody who didn't have a whole lot of success in her early to mid 20s in singles but once she did reach that 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 pinnacle of women's tennis she was able to capitalize and expand the reach of women's tennis in ways that i don't think we we can really fully grasp until in in a lot of ways it's it's not dissimilar to what the williams sisters have done like with mm. those those two the williams sisters and and Lena are responsible for the the growth the the rapid growth of tennis in asia for lee and then for young black women in united states yeah. like it's crazy how many young black women are playing tennis at a at a high and up and coming level mm-hmm. in the u.s right now we just saw Haley baptiste beat madison keys today we saw coco goff at 15 and Haley baptiste at 17, play in DC today. Two other bits of business before we uh, close this episode. The first, this little new segment that we had uh, teased earlier in the in the episode, you're going to pick a an ATP player in the top 100 that you either don't know or know very little about and tell us a little bit about mm-hmm. him, give a little bit of a book report, and then I will do so for a WTA player. Yeah. So you can begin.
1: I picked somebody who, like I've seen his name, but I didn't know what his face looked like and from a country where we don't hear a whole lot about men's tennis players lately. Number 90 in the world, Prajnesh Gunaswaran from India. He's a 29-year-old lefty from Chennai. And, you know, Indian men's tennis has not really been on the radar for a long time. Years ago, there was arbitrage. Leander Pays has been out here for many, many, many years as one of the best doubles players there is. But Men's singles has really been kind of not super uh, in the spotlight. So, Prajnesh was in university in the US in 2009. He decided to go pro. He trained for a few months. He got a ranking and he began to experience these knee problems that he had a lot of trouble diagnosing. He really lost about five years of his young career trying to figure out what these injuries were and how he could overcome them. Eventually, it was diagnosed as a muscular imbalance between the legs, and with some therapy, with training, he was able to figure it out, and now he is a full-time pro tennis player. In that period, while he was injured, there was even like the stretch of an entire year where he didn't pick up a racket. These are his prime playing years. He was in his early 20s. He returned to the tour in July 2015. The following year, he played 18 tournaments. Throughout his career so far, he's won two Challenger titles, eight ITF titles, this is one of these guys who started at the absolute bottom at r- number 1590. Back when we had rankings. <laughs> and has just very, very slowly and methodically built up his ranking. He reached a career high of 75 in April. And really, this year was the first year he broke up, broke into the top 100. He's had like a so-so summer. However, he is playing in Los Cabos and just beat John Millman who is someone I'm sure you actually do know. In September, he's also committed to playing Davis Cup in Islamabad, Pakistan, which will be the first time the Indian Davis Cup team has traveled to Pakistan in 55 years. And you may have heard that tensions between the two countries have flared up a bit recently. In Kashmir, he was apprehensive about playing in Pakistan at first, but has since committed saying that representing India comes first before anything.
0: It's not just uh, tennis, though, because the Indian and Pakistan cricket teams have not played in Pakistan for years either. Well, in fact, no cricket team has played, Mm. no international cricket team has played in Pakistan in many years. Really? Yeah. There was even talk about at the World Cup that just concluded that India would not play Pakistan and essentially forfeit the two points from that match as some kind of a political statement they ended up playing but this is the there's a huge political backdrop against which these sporting events happen when it comes to India and Pakistan it's no it's not right. small potatoes
1: so check out prajnesh's social media he is on instagram simply at prajnesh and it's very wholesome it's a lot of pictures of travel of him and his friends of the indian davis cup team he seems grateful to be out there, and he's talked about this, that at the time he would do anything to play tennis. And he's, uh, he's fought through a lot, and it's, it's worth thinking about these guys ranked outside the top 50 and how much it costs physically, mentally, emotionally, financially to make this a career. Mm-hmm.
0: I give you a solid B+. ...for that book report. Uh,
1: it was a little bit boring. Uh, well, I didn't Not expect, presented in the most exciting way. I didn't expect a grade, and I'm not, in, <laughs> I'm not in school. Jill
0: Teichman is who I'll be talking about from the WTA. She's 22 years old, and if you think you may have heard of her recently, it's because she's won both her WTA titles this year on clay. She just won last week in Palermo, and then earlier in the season... She won Prague. In Prague, she beat Karolina Muchova in uh, three sets. And then just last week, as we mentioned earlier, she beat Kiki Bertens in straight sets. Her last name, Teichmann, is German. However, she was born in Spain, in Barcelona. She speaks a bunch of languages, including Catalan and Spanish. And she's now a Swiss national. She represents Switzerland in tennis. As far as her junior career is concerned, she won the U.S. Open in 2014 in doubles. And she also won an Olympic gold medal at the Youth Olympics in 2014, playing mixed doubles.
1: There's a Youth Olympics? Yeah, I did
0: not know that. (laughs) (laughs) So you learn something new every day. All right. She's currently ranked in the 50s, and uh, she's a lefty, just like Preznesh. As far as Grand Slam singles results so far, she's made two main draws at slams. The first was last year at the US Open making the second round. And then she lost in the first round of Wimbledon this year. So, I mean, she's not like one of these precocious teen talents that had super results in their teens. She's, she's, she's getting there.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Like, uh, this is somebody who you could foresee in their mid-20s
1: really start to make a mark on the WTA Tour she's about to get a lot of direct entries with that ranking yep solid solid report thank you Mm -hmm. we're gonna end with the pettiest shit you have ever heard yeah
0: we had a lot of folks tell us that they they enjoyed or dramatic reading as it were of the joe canto press conference with that obnoxious reporter at wimbledon and so maybe maybe we'll add this as a feature going forward Mm -hmm. it just so happens that we were presented with material
1: Yes, we may start doing it in accents. Uh, (laughs) This one, I don't know where Mr. Bill Babcock is from.
0: Bill Babcock Mm -hmm. is this dude's name.
1: It's a solid name. William Babcock. He is the chair of the Grand Slam board. He was responding to Bernard Tomic's appeal because Tomic was penalized his entire first round prize money at Wimbledon for the first round performance rule for basically tanking. Anna Tadishvili was also fined at Roland Garros, and her appeal was granted. Bernard Tomex, however, you're about to find out. So we're going to read now. In your case, Bernard, I'm sure you would agree there is no historical evidence to give comfort to the theory that you can reform your behavior. Still, if there is a chance for you to clean up your act and demonstrate respect for the Grand Slam tournaments and the sport, and yourself that I'm willing to give that positive outcome a last chance.
0: Here's the deal, Bernie. If you do not commit any Grand Slam code violations in the next eight Grand Slam tournaments in which you compete, then 25% of your total financial penalty will be returned at that time. Admittedly, I'm skeptical that you can achieve this reform of Grand Slam on-court behavior. Many others, no doubt, would be even more than just skeptical. Good luck. Good luck. And I hope to be pleasantly surprised in the future by your successful reform. Do not hesitate to let me know if you have any questions. Sincerely, Bill Babcock.
1: Yeah, cock is right. <laughs> that is one of the most condescending things I've ever read in my life. I would fight for less than that. For much less than that. Uh, okay.
0: So, Ben Rothenberg tweeted this with the... The, the comparison of what was written to Tadishvili and what was written to Bernard. Like, this is wild to me that this is a working professional. Bill right. Babcock is presumably sitting in an office somewhere, being paid by somebody mm. to write this garbage. This condescending,
1: rude-as-fuck garbage. How can you expect... How can any player in the future expect to receive a fair hearing from the Grand Slam board if they appeal a first-round performance fine? If this is potentially the kind of response you're going to get, regardless of who the target is, who the appellant is, how can you speak to anyone this way in a professional situation?
0: Not just respect the Grand Slam
1: tournaments and the sport, but also, in parentheses, yourself. Girl, do not even go there, because that's what would make me want to fight. And... 25%, 25%, 25%, 25%, right? 25, 25%. You think, you think you'll get back.
0: Bernard Tomic gives a flying fuck about that what 10,000 pounds? Not even. Wild. Many others no doubt would be even more than just skeptical. What would they be then? What is more than just you know, skeptical?
1: This is this is just full of logical fallacies too. It's very upsetting. We need to get those people from the ITF and WADA to be writing No, sorry, not the ITF they wrote that real sarcastic one about Maria. WADA is very impartial and scientific when they write these uh, these rulings. That don't mean that they're not biased as fuck I either. Oh, no. Do you think it's a positive that Mr. Babcock is showing his biases so clearly? No. <laughs> no. What kind of a question is that? <laughs> it's absurd. It is. And, uh, you know, you have to wonder, it is kind of funny... But in all seriousness, what sort of representation are the players getting in front of the Grand Slam board? What kind of protections do they have? How arbitrarily are these rules being applied when it is something that seems so subjective? If someone is judging your performance in the first round of a major and said you didn't try your hardest, if this is the person judging, where are we? What sort of support do players have when there is a problem? Because we talked about with, uh, what was it before, with the WADA stuff. Mm. That
0: that very vague uh, line about getting a fair trial yeah. in a timely manner and blah, blah, blah. And how those things are all subjective. But, it, we t- but wait, we talked about this and when this happened as well. Who is making this decision, mm-hmm. like you said? Who is going to sit down and watch what ha- happened and be able to bring any kind of fairness to it? Because obviously what's happened here is that folks are are bringing, like, Bernie on Celebrity Castaway Island to the table. Mm. Bernie on a smaller ITF event. You know, like, all the
1: things that's happened before to this one incident. Right. Is that fair? Well, no, of course not. Because the issue at hand is that one match on that one day at Wimbledon, how do we judge his performance? And he's judged Bernie's performance on past behavior.
0: And to make it so
1: conditional on such moralizing terms, Wait, it's I mean, so icky. Yeah, but a Grand Slam code violation, that could be like racket abuse, right? Yeah, That could be any any mm-hmm. minor code violation. So if he gets one in the next eight tournaments, he won't be able to recoup 25% of his prize money? In the next two years. Le- <laughs> what they're banking on is that he won't be in tennis yes. in two years. that's I mean, 25% is less than the taxes he would have had to pay on the prize money
0: ridiculous absolutely absurd do Um, better bill on that note thanks for listening my name is jonathan you can find me on twitter at tennis underscore john
1: and i'm james i'm at elliot jmr two l's two t's the podcast is on
0: twitter at the body serve on instagram at the body serve we are on spotify
1: yes so the body is on spotify but we are also using spotify now Mm -hmm. and it's like wow i feel I like I fully entered the 2010s now in in the final year.
0: Thank you to Sumit for that lovely review on iTunes. We welcome them. We implore you all if you have yet to give us a review on iTunes or whatever podcast source that you use to listen to us, please do so. It's one of the tangible ways that you can help build the profile of the podcast, which we would absolutely adore you for. Five stars only. (laughs)
1: thanks for listening
0: till next time thank you very much